You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. Hi, I'm very pleased today, starting off the new year with a very exciting, uh, for me personally, guest, uh, attorney, CPA jurist, Gidi Barzakai. Gidi was the former head of both the pre-ruling for Masach Nassad, the Israeli Income Tax Authority, as well as being the senior deputy executive for the Israeli Tax Authority. Since retiring in, ninth, in 2009 from public service, Gidi opened his own boutique firm, which handles appeals to the tax authority, particularly for clarifications regarding Olim and returning residents. His appeals arise from for people who may failure, fail to report to the tax authorities, as well as voluntary disclosure requests, and he also advises major Israeli companies on their investments in Israel and abroad. In addition, he has led economic legislation designed to deal with financial crisis in the world. Under this tax legislation, there was a grant of tax incentives designed to attract foreign investment. Uh, Gidi, welcome. I'm really happy we could find the time for this call. Hi, Philip. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And what I didn't mention is that uh, to any of my listeners who are new Olim or uh, returning residents, as they say in Hebrew, Toshavim Chuzrim, uh, you, they should have a poster of you on their wall in their home or office because uh, you were the uh, power that brought the uh, famous tax relief to Olim for uh, 10, I, I think right about now it's, it's the fifth anniversary of you passing that legislation of giving Olim and returning re- long-term returning residents a tax holiday and a reporting holiday for 10 years. Yes, actually, I'm not sure about the poster, but everything else is correct, and I'm always glad to talk about Olive and returning residents because I think they are one of the greatest resources of the state of Israel. All right, well, that, that, that's wonderful to hear, and, and, and that we're in full agreement. So let me get to my questions, uh, and I'll begin as follows. Giddy, I know you were instrumental in uh, getting exemptions for new Olim from taxation and reporting on income that is generated outside of Israel. Can you tell our our listeners the current status of those exemptions? Well, actually, the good news are that the current status is actually almost 99.99% exactly as it was once we passed the legislation with the Knesset in 2008, uh, retrospectively applying from 2007. It was under deliberation lately with the budget law in which the ITA, the Israeli Tax Authority, suggested maybe to eliminate the exemption from reporting, but we were able to explain our position and to make sure that the legislation, the reform, is fully applicable to Olim and returning residents as far as the end of 2013, and I hope that later on also. But for now, everything is still in order, and this is still applicable, and everybody is welcome to use it. Why do you think the ITA tried to remove the exemption from filing? 
Well, actually, the ITA explained the reason in the explanation that it attached to the law uh, that was uh, that was offered. Uh, the first item, which I think was, let's say, less important and easily trapped, is that the ITA suggested that it will enable the people from the ITA to enforce the law properly with regard to, to making sure that the income that is exempt is actually supposed to be exempt and the other income that does not supposed to be exempt would be liable to pay tax. So they, they were under the impression that they could do better assessment work if they get full uh, reporting uh, uh, obligation. Actually, this was trumped on, on, on the first page because there are still many good uh, uh, instruments that the ITA can use in order to make sure that the exempt income is only the, the proper one and, and, and that the law is not abused for other purposes. Now, the second item that was explained by the ITA, which is more important, if you ask me, in the ITA point of view, was the anything, everything to do with the transparency revolution that we have suffered like the last four or five years since this legislation came in action, in which tax authority people are talking with each other, exchanging information, the secrecy for a bank's account is over. So the ITA was looking to have a part of this worldwide uh, reorganization in order to fulfill Israel's status as a member of the OECD. But in this case, we could also, we were also able to, to, to explain to the Knesset that this is not necessary because the legislation, the reform, is fully in compliance and in alliance with every demand of the OECD organization, and the Israeli tax authority is not liable to collect information that it doesn't need for its own purposes. And the taxes that are waived there are taxes that are not inflicting by any way other countries. So once we went through the ordeal and we, we were able to explain this point, so the second item, which was more important in the eyes of the people for the ITA, was also off the table for now. All right. Well, that's uh, that's great. And, and in, in the name of all my listeners, uh, I want to personally thank you for your efforts uh, in, in keeping uh, the legislation and the exemptions as you originally envisioned them. Uh, I want to actually take take this opportunity because you you were the author of of this legislation. Uh, to ask you a few questions about the the law itself, we all know that in the internet age, uh, it it has allowed people to move to Israel and keep their jobs in America. Does this exemption for New Olim cover these people if they telecommute? Well, there are two aspects uh, should be addressed uh, according to this question. The first aspect is that the, the legislation is perfectly clear. Whatever you do from Israel is liable to tax, and the only income that is liable not to pay tax and not to be reported is the income that you drive driven outside of Israel. Now, the Internet uh, decade is suggesting and offering new, new difficulties. But in this case, it should be mentioned that if a person is involved in a driving in income, then the income would be liable to pay tax territorially the place that he is sitting while he's performing his work. So 
even if he's operating through the internet and he's communicating other countries, and even if he sells commodities out of Israel, as long as the compensation for his efforts is given to him while he's, he's operating this particular effort of a person in Israel, then he's liable to pay tax over it. So as long as he's sitting in Israel the whole year, he would most definitely suffer tax over this income. The good news are that if this person is going around the world and, 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 and a lot of the contribution is done outside of Israel, then we can split the compensation that he's getting for his efforts. Whatever he's doing outside of Israel and is compensated for that would be liable not to pay tax and not to be reported. And whatever he's doing while staying in Israel, he would need to suffer tax. And it would not always be the perfect uh, uh, clear uh, cut for days count. If, if we can show that his contribution is more, more, more significant outside of Israel, then maybe a bigger amount of income would be liable not to pay tax, even if he spent less time proportionality in Israel and abroad. Yes, that was my question. In other words, the, the law doesn't necessarily say that the calculation is done linearly. In other words, that it's not uh, day by day. In other words, that one, if one can prove that uh, what they do when they're, let's say, in the U.S. or in Europe uh, is worth more than the days when they're sitting uh, doing preparatory work in Israel, that there is a possibility of uh, changing that uh, formula. Yeah, we, we can say that as long as you're, lo if you're going by the day count, you most, most definitely, most cases, you will be in alliance with what the ITA will consider the perfect allocation. I, w I, I, was, not, I was not introduced to any case yet that the ITA uh, claimed differently. But we most certainly, in a lot of cases, claim differently. And we got uh, some understanding from the ITA. And if not, we could put it into legal uh, paper that mentions that as long as the contribution can be proved to be done outside of Israel, then you are perfectly well. That's, that's great. Okay, again, you were very involved with the legislation. You were part of the ITA. Um, how does Bituach Lumi relate to these tax exemptions? Well, actually, the Tuchlum is one of the issues that I was surprised after I retired from the ITA to hear that there are questions involving the Bituachlum issue. Because to begin with, everything about the Bituachlum is driven out of the income tax audience. So as long as the income is tax-free from income tax, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be liable to pay Bituachlum at all. And actually, while I was going through the legislation, we spoke to the people from the Tuach Lumi, and they ensured me that it is the situation. After my retirement, I started uh, having these uh, people coming to me and say that they heard differently that people from some officials from the Tuach Lumi and from the income tax told them that it is different. And they're looking at some uh, articles from the Tuach Lumi uh, frame, uh, framework of law. So let me start by saying that under the law, under my understanding and out of the general implication of the income tax audience and the audience, the income that is exempt from income tax should not suffer at all. And 
the, the, the bad news are that maybe the people from Bitoch Lomi would not see this eye to eye. So the way to deal with it is maybe to, to, to take a legal paper that will mention that we are doing properly, properly and uh, maybe someday we'll have to fight this. I didn't uh, cross over any case that we need to actually fight this over. I, it should be noted that there is another aspect from Bituach Lumi that as long as this income is not liable to pay uh, Bituach Lumi, then it would not be covered by the Dmei Aftala and other, uh, 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 other money that you might be getting from Bituach Lumi if it was. So we need to make sure that we are working according to the law and that we got the best advice to do so. And the other aspect is to make sure that we're covered by Bituach Lumi. Okay, that's very important information for, for the listeners of this podcast. Let me uh, ask you another question. Sometimes we see families, again, in this unusual times that we live in, as, you know, with the Internet and the ease of getting on a plane and being uh, halfway around the world in 10 or 12 hours. Sometimes we see families who move to Israel, and initially the husband, let's say, spends most of the first two or three years uh, continuing to work in the U.S. or winding down a business or, or uh, finishing a senior position. And the family, the wife and children in the traditional model, are here. They move here. In your opinion, can a family split their status, meaning can a wife be an Ola, a new immigrant, and the husband still be considered as a non-resident for a few years? This is a great and very, very relevant question that we trample a lot lately. So first, let me be very clear on this point. It is possible. This is the proper, proper way to interpret the law. And family cell can be split, in my opinion, for tax purposes, as long as the, the substance is, is, is accordingly. So the, 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 the Israeli tax authority actually is holding a very, very radical position with regard to the family cell split for tax purposes. Actually, they are reading into the law as if the only condition is the place for center of life is where the place of the family. Now, in our modern world, there are many people that consider the center of life elsewhere without being bad family people. But if, if the family is in Israel, and for instance, let's take the husband that is spending most of his time overseas, creating uh, assets and, and, and operating his business and have a center of life there, then the family cell should be, should be able to, to split. Now, the, the misfortune is that a lot of people are working under the assumption that there are completely foreign residents and actually while performing a, a, an ITA a, a assessment or questions, they will be very surprised to find out that the ITA consider them to be Israeli tax residents. So some of them are working under the assumption that they came back to Israel and now they are uh, returning vet residents or even Olim. And the ITA will say, sorry guys, you've been here forever or since 2003, since 2004 because your family is here. And the most surprising issue is that even if you can enjoy a treaty that will consider you to be a foreign resident in Israel, the people from the ITA will say that you might be considered as a foreign resident by the treaty, but as long as you're not considered a foreign resident by the internal ITA code, then 
you would be liable to be regarded as an Israeli tax resident for the purposes of the benefits. Now, this whole idea is wrongly interpreted by the ITA, and actually there are some cases that are now deliberated in the court, and the ITA started to suffer some losses. But it is very important to tell everybody who is listening to make sure to check his position and to make sure that if he considers himself to be a foreign resident or a returning resident or an OLE, he should make sure, first of all, that the ITA would be considering him the same way, and if he doesn't, to make sure that he looks into his position and to take the proper steps in order to be prepared for the day that he might get some claim from the ITA. So I know there is, uh, I don't know, about six months or a year ago, the ITA introduced a mechanism for people to uh, sort of get a ruling or pre-ruling on their status. Is that something you recommend? Well, I tell you something about this. This was called the green line. Actually, the notion of the green line is for me familiar for my days, which we tried to establish some routes that people would not need to go for any question to, to the expense of advice and stuff like that. So we formulated the green line. But while, while you're looking about the green line, uh, discussing the residency issue, actually it's causing a very, very red line, uh, if you ask me, because if you look into the specifics of this green line, it mentions that in order to be automatically regarded as a foreign resident, you need to be less than 90 days a year and sometimes less than 60 days for the last 10 years. You need to make sure that you never got any health treatment in Israel. You were never an employer or an employer. So once you go through all these uh, 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 criteria, you pretty much understand that while we're talking about Jewish people that have families in Israel, the only way for them to be regarded as returning resident or olim is as long as they've been on the moon for the last 10 years, because otherwise they would not fit into the green line. So I don't find much use for this green line. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sad to say so. Okay. Let me bring, ask you about some, some recent news. And again, I don't, I don't want to go into the uh, technicalities of the legislation, and I'm referring to the new l r rules regarding trusts, foreign trusts, but I do want to ask you about how will new Olim be affected by the, the new rules taxing uh, foreign trusts? Well, I, I would not dig into it because this is very heavy if we're looking about the, 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 the best spectrum of the influence. But actually, this is also a sad legislation that will trump a lot of uh, opportunities that the State of Israel had with regard to foreign residents creating trust. Now, as long as Olim and uh, returning residents are involved, so if the creator is an Oleh Hadash or a returning resident and the beneficiaries are Israelis, but are not considered to be Olim Hadashim or returning residents, then this trust is liable to pay tax in Israel, which is very, very bad news. The good news are that as long as you came to Israel before 2014 and created this trust before 2014, which means that you can still do it. So if you are returning residents or in Olay, and even if your beneficiaries are Israelis, which are not liable to have this exemption, this trust will be, uh, will be measured according to the previous law, which means that it will be tax-exempt for the, for the period in which the creator is tax-exempt. But you still have to operate and, and do it before January 2014.
Okay, so that's that's also something your firm could help uh, ha help Olim with or yeah, returning residents. We actually lately we have our hands full with these these cases because people are tending, you know, people that are deliberating understood that they cannot deliberate no more. They should come and fulfill their wishes. Actually, for many years. Okay, uh, it's hard to believe, Giddy, that that you'll soon be marking the seventh year. Of enjoy of the enjoyment of these tax exemptions from your bill. Is there anything new or old Olim should be thinking about uh, in light of the fact that their exemption will be expiring in three years? Well, I should mention two big aspects. The first one we actually dealt with a few minutes ago is to make sure that the ITA will consider your position exactly like you do. So make sure that you are a foreign residents before coming, make sure that the commencement of the period is the same because I had some cases that people came in 2007, but the ITA said they came in 2006 and they're not liable to be exempt at all. And they found out retrospectively, which is unpleasant. So as, as we're, we're stepping into the end of the period, I should advise people to, to have like checking the position to make sure that the ITA will agree with them about the specifics of the program. The second item is to make sure that everything is documented properly, that everything is signed out properly, so once you get into the system, you have all your property well-established, well-known, well-recognized, so no questions are asked and no problem will arise uh, facing the, the question, when did this property was driven, where was it uh, accomplished, so you should be very clear about your position and to have a very, very clear and documented position that you can show in case questions are asked later on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very, very helpful. Uh, let me just change the topic a little. As you know, the U.S. has an estate and gift tax. Do you see any possibility of Israel trying to impose such a tax in the near future? Well, I most certainly hope that it will never happen. Actually, there was some some political uh, uh, representative that tried to pull this, but they didn't succeed so far. I think if we will impose this, this will be one of the catastrophes for Israel economy and society. And I really hope that it would not happen. As far as we've seen lately, and the, the atmosphere is very, very uh, accommodating, it's still not operational. So people are and people understand that this will be like a very very foolish thing to do. And so far, it was not built up to be something serious. And I hope it will remain this way. Okay, I hope so too. I'm going to add one additional question. You know, I, I we've had elections uh, this past year. Uh, taxes have either gone up or are going up. Uh, the powers that be seem to indicate that this is a, only a temporary measure until they right the economy. Uh, do, you, do you see that we are, are headed into a higher tax world or that, uh, that in the near future that rates may be coming down again as they were a few years ago? Well, as, as, although I'm very Zionist and would like to be optimistic and attractive, I should mention that from what we've seen so far, the current uh, law and uh, budget law is not addressing the issues properly. It failed to encourage foreign investment. It failed to encourage people to come from out of Israel to invest money in Israel. And therefore, unfortunately, as long as they don't take serious and immediate steps in order to encourage income, in the budget, 
then we will suffer more uh, taxes and less employment, and it won't be that good as long as the government would not change its policy. But if the government would look forward and would understand the position and the advantages of Israel, they could pull up some very, very good uh, programs that will enhance the economy and will attract people. So I hope they would go this way so we can be all more happy. All right, so Gidi, I'm, I want to thank you for, for this call today. I also want to give you an opportunity to tell my listeners how to get in touch with you and your firm. So le- why don't you take a moment to give your contact information? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me, Philip. And I think the best way is to approach, we have Barzakai, C-O-I-L, and the number at the office is uh, in Tel Aviv, 0396 and uh, you've proven from this podcast that anyone who does not uh, speak Hebrew well can certainly, uh, uh, you can accommodate them as well. So I Yes, of course. A lot of our clients are, 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 are getting their services in English because we tried to absorb them in Israel the best way we can, but some of them need to learn Hebrew. So we accommodate in English. We, we, we are in contact with the specialists overseas many times because once we bring a solution, the solution is not only in Israel, it's supposed to work overseas as well. So this is most uh, generally done in foreign languages. All right, so I, I want to thank you again. Wish you a continued success. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacetime.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.